This is You Guys in a Bible. <laughs> this is a weekly conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Dylan Keniston, and I am joined this evening by Eric Leupold. Eric, how are you doing this morning, brother? I'm doing great. Yourself? I say, I say morning, but I'm kind of like winging this. Right, I'm not, I don't have like the script in front of me, so it's actually evening. I don't know why. I think it's just habit. We usually do it in the we morning. We usually do it in the morning. Like every episode we record is in the morning. So It's I morning know. for me. It's, I'm it going is kind on of night shift tonight. That's true. Yeah. So I have to go to work in a little bit. Dude, you're running on fumes. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we'll get through it. Pray for me. He's like, pray for me, brother. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, um, so to pivot the tone just a little bit, um, today we're we're dealing with a, a heavy subject and really in, in, in many respects, um, a, a terrible, terrifying subject, um, but also a subject that uh, evidences, um, tell, tells us powerful evidence of who God is and, and uh and his and his glorious weightiness and and his worth and um, we're going to be talking today about hell and about uh, some of the things that the Bible has to say about hell. Um, I guess before we before we dive in, well, I wanted to say real quick uh, yeah, as far as uh, I know, it's sometimes it seems like our our topics are quasi random, but Dylan and I we usually you know you know we try to get together and figure out what we're going to talk about and. Mm-hmm. It, it was uh, laid on my heart to to talk about this topic because, well, I don't know. I always think that we don't really do that many Sunday school classes on topic of hell. Mm. Um, even uh, you know, even sermons they they do talk about judgment, repentance, things like that. But but uh, you know, it's it's not a topic that people like to usually talk about. And yeah. um, and I I know folks that really struggle with the the concept. I mean, you know, we live in a culture that that, you know, is all about God is love and love, 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 and he loves everyone. And, you know, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Right. Basically. Right. right? So I don't know. I think I thought always thought it was pretty relevant. Um, and that's kind of why I advocated to do this topic today. And, uh, but we'll, you know, we'll cover heaven next time. Right. Yeah. Get both sides of the coin. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, so, I mean, I, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So, yeah. um, you said, you know, the Lord laid it on your heart to, to kind of talk through this subject and it is a very weighty subject. And I mean, you make a good point, you know, from the pulpit, there's a lot of, um, talk and, uh, not, it's, it's not euphemism in, in a negative sense. Like, because, you know, you talk about judgment and, um, punishment and sin and, and the, like the danger therein. I mean, those are, those are biblical categories. There's nothing wrong with like using that language. Um, but Hell is a biblical category too, and we just don't we don't hear that taken up very often in the pulpit. Um, and and I mean, I guess it would depend on the church that that you're going to or, or you know who's preaching you're sitting under. Um, hmm. But it but it, it does happen, and it, there part of it is there's this unease in talking about hell. I mean, why do you think why do you think that is, and where do you think some of that's coming from? Oh, the unease of talking about it because it's not a happy place. Yeah, you know, it's not a. It's not something that when you think about it, it's just like, oh man, I, no one really wants to talk about a place of suffering and torment um, for eternity or anything like that. I mean, um, I would say it goes along with talking about death. Like our culture doesn't really like to talk about death too much. I mm. mean, we, we try to avoid it by using words like passing away. Uh, you know, he or she passed away, went on, went home. Now, 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 now the going home part certainly is a, that's a, that's a fine, it's a fine t- uh, way to say it, right? But I guess even the term funeral is not used too much anymore. It's kind of like celebration of life, you know, uh, the service. 
So I think we try to use terms to avoid saying things like funeral, grave, and death. Mm. So I think it would be, it's similar, it parallels it to say that we also like to avoid talking about hell. And what about the concept of judgment, right? I mean, you just think about the gospel. Yeah. If, you, if you remove this notion of judgment, I mean, what do you lose in some of that? I mean, it, can the gospel kind of be as glorious and beautiful and attractive as it is mm. if you remove this notion of judgment? Like, how does that play into it? Well, yeah, certainly no one likes to be, no one likes to be judged. I mean, the idea of being, you know, condemned for your crimes, I mean, no one's going to like facing that. Um but to your point, or to what you mentioned, the whole idea of judgment, it, it does tie into God's holiness, right? Mm. So, you know, we worship a God who's holy. We worship a God who uh, has a standard of mm. morality, of behavior that he has called us to. And we have all violated that standard, broken his, his laws, you know, beginning with Adam. And even till now, every one of us has has messed up uh, very badly. We've rebelled against our creator and our king. And so God's holiness, because he's holy, there is a response. It's in his, you know, part of his nature. He responds to rebellion and wickedness in a certain way, Mm. which, you know, makes sense. And that's where we get the concept of the wrath of God. Um, God's response to sin and wickedness is just wrath, you know, condemnation of those who are guilty. I mean, it's it's quite simple, really, uh, when you think about it. Um, even us as individuals, we have a notion of this in our own personal lives. If someone, if 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 someone comes comes along and wrongs us in a pretty serious way, I mean, we can get pretty upset about that. Uh, you know, our our own understanding of it's kind of twisted and and it's quite selfish. But we have a sense of, we have an understanding that this person did evil, this person did wrong, and my anger burns against that person because of what they did. You know, there needs to be justice. Something needs to be done about that, or they just get away with it, Mm. you know. So, of course, we're very imperfect with that because of our sinful nature, but God is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly just. And so when a holy God... uh, calls sinners to account, there are consequences mm. for that. They satisfy that justice. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think part of like how it gets so weighty is, you know, it's one of the one of the dangers I think in in talking about hell is uh, I mean, A, there's risk that it's not so much made light of, but that it's it's just kind of it's it can be discussed flippantly right like it is a it is an it, it is a terrifying prospect of 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 going where the worm does not die um i mean we'll, we'll come to some relevant passages here mm-hmm. but i think one of the things that helps to keep um the perspective rooted in scripture and rooted is is god's character right um you know god will still say you know turn turn why should you die the lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked Right. So like there's this sense in which God is yearning for people to repent and to turn to him and be saved. You know, there's uh, the atheist um, Penn Gillette. I think I've heard him comment that, you know, I have very little respect for Christians who don't preach the gospel to me. Here's an atheist saying this. 
And because what he's saying is, look, if you really believe what your faith teaches, then you're, you think that I'm going to hell. And if you're not proclaiming the gospel to me, then do you really love me? Do you care mm. at all about me? Do you give a rip about me if <laughs> yeah. you're if you're not sharing the gospel with me? And that's just a wa- that's a sobering thought, right? That's just a wake up call to how you know the, this notion of hell transcendentally raises stakes, and it it raises it in such a way that it just it, it's a call to love with tremendous urgency. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I mean, what are your thoughts on, I mean, how can we as Christians talk about hell in, in loving and compassionate ways with those who may, who are at risk of being in its path? Yeah, uh, there's definitely some more tactful ways to talk about it uh, than some folks out there yeah. utilize, right? So, I mean. And I've been guilty of that. I'll be, I'll be honest, like when I was young in the faith, like I was like. Oh, da da da! Like you know, I I remember I had um I was a part of a group of friends and we were all you know relatively new to the faith and we were just kind of like, you know, um, you use the the phrase like fire and brimstone and for some people that has positive connotation for some people it has negative connotation but you're just like you're just constantly hammering home this notion of <clears throat> hell and God's wrath and God hates you know fill in the blank mm-hmm. um and and you know just very little tact in that yeah. and very like I, I know that 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 definitely uh i've seen it happen i've i've seen i've seen temptations arise in, in others and and in myself like what are some ways that we can discuss this tactfully yeah. with with friends who are not believers yeah. to share that that danger a- absolutely uh one way i mean i would avoid saying th- i i'm personally am not a big fan of standing out in the streets and saying you know holding up signs and and you know Things like that, and just kind of really West, being, Westboro Baptist style. Yeah, yeah, well, being yeah, being particularly angry yeah. or hostile, it it really should be driven out of a out of a heart of compassion. Yeah, for the person. So it's not like we go to them with our own judgment and anger, and kind of like satisfactorily reminding them that they're all going to burn. Right. That should not be the the heart of it. the The point of it is, the whole point of it is really to warn. Yeah. I mean, the the entire purpose of even talking about hell is to present the gospel. Yeah. Like, I mean, the bad news has to come first so that the good news is actually good. Yeah. I mean, it's not good. How you know how good the good news is unless you know what the, what the alternative is. That's right. That's right. And in fact, I've heard, you know, people put it in various ways saying that the, the bad news is the, is the black background Hmm. and the, and the good news of a, is like the, the facet of a diamond. Like, Hmm. The diamond's more beautiful when you hold it in front of a black background, mm. and you see that in all the pictures of diamonds. There's always a it's always a black or dark background to mm. see more clearly and more beautifully the intricacies of that diamond. So now, That's if you analogy, I hadn't heard that before. That's yeah, cool. if you lessen that background, if you make the background uh, not so bad, right? Then the good news isn't that good. Yeah. It's not that great. I mean, if you say that, like, yeah, uh, you know, God's not happy with the things you've done, but it's not that big a deal. I mean, you might have a little bit of of punishment, maybe for a couple of years, but you'll get out. You know, that's there's a I you know that's one form of of theology is that at some point hell ends and everyone gets saved. Like yeah. everyone, that's a form of universalism. Everyone yeah. Yeah. gets saved and goes to heaven just after a period of time. And that is kind of like, well, it's not so bad then. Then there's no urgency really to 
to repent. And all that Jesus did and all that happened to him is kind of like, was that really even necessary? So you want to make sure that you are setting it up so that the gospel is actually really, really good news. Now, you know, still you want to you want to paint the picture, a true picture, an accurate portrait of what hell is, but you want to do so with a compassionate heart. And and that's gonna that's gonna there's gonna be some variation, I'd say, amongst how you do that with people. I mean, uh, Jesus had slight variation in how he approached people, uh, people that came to him with broken hearts, broken spirits. Uh, he was a bit more gentle with them, and people who came self righteous. Well, he had a little more harsh words to say about folks like that. So uh, just, you know, one example. Uh, there's many passages we can talk about, but Matthew 25 is, uh, is a very well-known passage. It talks about the final judgment. And in fact, it's, it's several parables that talk about that. Uh, the, uh, the parable of the talents is one. And let's see. In that parable, so I'm starting in verse uh, 14 of chapter 25 of the book of Matthew. I mean, I'll, I'll summarize it for a little bit, but the talents are handed out. Uh, five, uh, let's see, two, uh, one, he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his ability. Okay, and the whole point of the parable, you know, the two of them uh, obey and use the talents wisely and, and get an increase. And the other one just kind of buries it, uh, doesn't really do anything with it. Uh kind of out of fear, but also out of a sense of, you know, of pride and, and, and rebellion against the master. And basically, uh, at the end of that parable, this is verse 29, uh, for to everyone who has will, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the servant who is rebellious and disobeys the master uh, and is a poor steward of what's been given to him is cast out of darkness. And then Jesus continues right after that. Yeah, I was going to say the very next section. The very next section is even note. more clear, yeah. which talks about the Son of Man coming in his glory, the angels with him, uh, all nations will be gathered. He'll separate one people from another. So the sheep from the goats is a separation going on there. And the sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. And this is verse... Uh, 34, the king will say, come you who are blessed, inherit the kingdom. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And of course they ask, you know, when did we do those things? And he, and he mentions, um, uh, Lord, when we see you, and he answers, uh, the king said, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he goes on, verse 41, to the next group. He addresses the, the next group, the, uh, the, not the sheep, the goats, right? And he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will answer. This is interesting how they answer. Saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will say, you did not do it to the one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And there's other passages that talk. There's a similar one that talks about uh, those who sang uh, on, that, on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy in your name and do all these wonderful things? And he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. And so the, the picture being painted there is this, picture of outer darkness, of 
where there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth and things like that. So um, there's many times that Jesus talks about hell a lot. Uh, talks about judgment, talks about uh, perhaps more than any other topic, really, in the, uh, in the Gospels. So it's a serious subject and one that needs to be mentioned because it's true. It's there. It's real. Yeah. Can't yeah. avoid it. And I, I don't know that this is just, this, uh, I think sometimes hell gets the connotation that it's just kind of in the New Testament, something that Jesus talks about, mm-hmm. um, which by the way, God does not have to say something in, in both Testaments for it to be true and, and, and valid. Um, but yeah. I, I also think that's a mistake too. I think we do see it in the Old Testament. It's an interesting um, parallel here. If you look at Mark chapter 9, uh, verse, verses uh, 42 to 48, reads, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, what's interesting is that uh, that vi- that vision of uh, this this notion of the undying worm and the unquenchable fire we see likewise in Isaiah uh, sixty six verses uh, twenty two to twenty four. So, starting at verse twenty two, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. For uh, from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall all abhorrence, uh, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting kind of parallel of language here, and there's a, a handful of places where you get uh, something similar. You get something similar in um uh, Daniel 12, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never before since there was a time, uh, there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life um, hmm. and some to uh, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Yeah. So uh, it's it's it really runs this thread all through the Bible. And then we see uh, the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever in Revelation 14. Uh, They're thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation 20. Yes. So there's, you really have this thread that um, runs through the, um, the canon. And it is a sobering reminder that, um, you know, God is God. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's what it's a sobering reminder of. So, I mean, one of the things that I hear fairly often from folks who are yeah. not Christian and talk about hell is is that it's seen, and I'm sure there may be Christians out there listening to this who who feel the same way deep down. It's like, you know, how is it right that if yeah. someone sins, then they, I mean, that by itself warrants eternal hell. Yeah, that's right? a good question. Yeah, so, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, how is it the case that, I mean, is that fair? Is that yeah. just? Like if someone has, I don't know, they they they, they entertain a lustful thought, for example, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe they go, they, they go to a grocery store and they steal something 
And I mean, from a Christian perspective, we would call those things sin and, and the wages of sin is death. So, I mean, yeah. how, how does that get meted out if, that, if that's justice? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, that's an important one. I think when you all need to wrestle with it, I wrestle with myself. Yeah. Um, but I try to think, uh, I'll first use a human analogy. Uh, so let's say that uh, is a murderer and he's, you know, he, it's, guilt, it's, it's clear he's guilty. Um, and now he's up for sentencing. Okay. And the judge says, uh, well, I, I mean, I, you know, you know, I think death penalty would be fine, but let's just say he says life in prison. How about that? Life in prison. No, no chance of parole. Maybe the guy murdered a couple people, right? Now the guy might say, well, I, you know, that seems so unfair, you know, 90, you know, 90, whatever many years in prison, but I only was sinning for about five minutes as I was killing the person. Like it only took like five minutes for them to die. So, you know, technically I was only sinning for five minutes. Why would I be punished for however many years? And so I think if you look at time for time, it's, it's a skewed perspective, mm. but that's not how, that's not how justice works, right? It's value. Okay. So the, uh, the, 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 the life imprisonment or the death penalty is based on the seriousness of the crime. The person killed someone made in the image of God. Like the person committed one of the most horrific crimes you can commit. And so therefore, based on the value of what was, you know, the, the, what, you, what, you, what the person sinned against or committed the crime against, is that's the punishment that fits that crime, Right. And then at the same time, the guy can't say, well, you know, I, you know, I've been a good neighbor. I take out my neighbor's garbage, I help her across the street. Like I do all these wonderful things. Why are you, why are you, you know, imprisoning me for killing this person? It's mm. like, well, <laughs> it's still the fact that justice needs to be done, that, that value, that life for life mm. in a way, right? Um, just because you did wonderful things before, that doesn't really, it doesn't bring that person back. It doesn't undo the damage that was done. Now, that's a you know it's a, it's a limited analogy because when we sin against God, we're not damaging Him or hurting Him. In fact, I'm reminded of a passage in Job. Like if uh, if you were to sin against Him, what is that to Him? You know, uh, there's a, there's a sense in which our sin we can't get to God. We can't, we can't hurt Him. God. Yeah. We can't take from Him. We can't make His life miserable. We can't uh, do anything like that at all. But he is a being of infinite value. And we can offend him. We can offend him. That's right. He's yeah. the king, and he's got a, his standard, yeah. which we have rebelled. You, you read the passage from Isaiah where uh, those who have rebelled, right? Yeah. So it's not even a matter of, you know, I did this little sin. The whole heart of rebellion is at the root of it. Mm. It's, not even, it's not even just like I stole this pack of gum or, you know, I had some lustful thoughts. I mean, it's like, even even before that, where was your heart? Your heart was in rebellion against God. You did not call him king. You did not bow the knee to him. And, you know, as rebel sinners, we're sitting in the, in, in a way, we're sitting in God's palace, God's, you know, his, his city, and it's burning. We're, you know, we're, we've, we've, we're tearing down the stones, we're tearing down everything, burning it, setting on a fire, saying, we, you know, we will have no king. Mm. And all the while... He's, he's restraining. He's being patient. Hmm. Not only is he restraining our sin, but he's being long-suffering. He's not 
sent in the army yet to end the rebellion, if you will. But in fact, he sent his own son to call us out. You know, he sent his own son into the flames and said, stop this, repent now, and be welcomed back as full citizens of the king and his kingdom. And that's kind of like the parable uh, that Jesus talks about where he sends his servants to the, uh, to the vineyard, I believe, that, that's being stewarded, and they keep killing the servants, yeah. and then the king's like, well, maybe I'll send my son. And they're like, oh, here's the man's heir. Let's kill the son and take the inheritance. Um, and then, of course, you know, the parable ends with the, the, the idea that, yeah, that person's going to bring judgment. The, the landlord's going to bring judgment upon those uh, wicked stewards, you know? Yeah. So God is so merciful mm. in the fact that he has not yet brought final judgment. And he still, and, and yet he actually offers repent and be saved for sinners like from, us. Yeah. Exactly. You rebels. Yeah. You're burning down my kingdom, my castle, repent and be saved. And this is one of the reasons why like wh- like why do Christians cling to the cross, right? Yeah. I mean, we this side of glory continue to wrestle with, you know, sin, the flesh and the devil and, you know, we are certainly united with Christ by faith and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us. I mean, much of Paul's argumentation is, you know, okay, you have the Holy Spirit, so now be who you are, you know, in Christ. Yeah. You know who you are, now go be who you are. And, and you know, when, as Christians, when we fall short, this is why we cling to the cross. We go back again and again and again, because we remember there the price that Christ paid for rebels like us. Yeah. Um, I, I heard it put, I heard it put this way one time, you know, there was, we have a, I mean, we, we don't have really much of a concept of like, kings in, in America. Yeah, we not had, uh, anymore. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> but, but um, you know, it, it, sometimes when you watch shows and stuff like that, we get this notion. And But, like, you imagine you, you steal a pack of gum from a, a convenience store, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay, no big deal. Well, if you steal a pack of gum from the king, you do anything to the king, all of a sudden, yeah. because it's against the king, the the punishment and yeah. the risk is is way heightened. Right. Because it's like if you you can insult your neighbor and, you know, your neighbors, your peer, they're not going to do anything to you. But you insult the king, you're taking your life in your own hands. Right. So we kind of have this notion. So I think one of the ways that has kind of dampened our understanding of hell uh, in just in our cultural context is that, you know, we kind of. and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is a good thing. Like we, we think of everyone as kind of like intrinsically equal and valuable in the sight of God. We are made in God's image. Like all human beings in that sense are, that's, are that's equal true. in yeah. value. Yeah. And for, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, but now with God, so in other words, like the heinousness of the act, we say, well, if you just sin, do this little sin, you just steal a pack of gum. Why would God send you to hell for that little act? Well, but God is not here measuring the act so much as the one against whom the act was done. So like mm-hmm. every every sin is first and foremost like who is the most offended party when it's you steal that pack of gum? It's not in a vacuum. It's not in a vacuum. Like yeah. it, if you steal a pack of gum, the most offended party is not the owner of the convenience store. It's not, right? If you if you steal anything or you do anything, the most offended party is always God. Yeah. Always. And so the the reason the the punishment is is eternal in weight and duration is because 
of the infinite majesty of the one against whom the act was done. So in other words, you're not, it's not just that you're, you're punished for the act. You're punished for, the, the punishment is eternal because of the eternal nature against whom the act was done. So yeah. it's not, not, it's not, you know, not just thinking about the size of the act, but most importantly, the infinite majesty well, of even, the one against who Even King done. David can say in the Psalms, like, against you and you alone have I sinned. Have I sinned, yeah. Now, we all know that, well, hang on, David, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, uh, you, you, you murdered Uriah and you basically took his wife. Yep. And you, you had, you know, inappropriate relationship with her outside of marriage. But you're saying you only sinned against God? Well, in a sense, yeah, because... Whose standard did you violate? Yeah. Like whose law? It wasn't Uriah the Hittite's. It wasn't. It wasn't Uriah's law that he broke. It was God's law. So the law is owned by God. Your uh, your analogy of uh, of the king, uh, you sitting against the king, taking the king's gum. There is actually an analogy that fits that in our co- in our modern context, hmm. and that analogy would be the act of treason. Hmm. So if I if I plot to overthrow my neighbor. And to ruin him, or let's say that I'm I'm angry at my boss, or you know, whatever, I'm a, a jaded worker, or whatever, and I I plot to burn this company to the ground, like maybe not physically, literally, but I plan on ruining the company. You know, I mean, I might be able to go to I might go to prison for that, you know, but probably not going to be the death penalty. But if you plot to overthrow the government of the United States, like the act of treason is one of the most heinous acts you can commit, and it is punishable by, by death, right? So there's a sense in which even in our own context, uh, plot, who you plot to overthrow matters. It matters who you're trying to destroy yeah. um, and to destroy their authority and undermine what they're trying to do. It does matter based on who it's towards, right? So just some, some thoughts there. Another thing... Uh, that I found very helpful, and this is not this is not explicit in the text of Scripture, but I think it's it's by good and natural consequences deductible from Scripture, right? So I had it explained to me uh, when I was trying to figure out, like, well, why? How comes hell is eternal? I mean, yeah, on the one point, yes, God is of infinite value, so any sin would require a almost equal eternally infinite justice infinite justice right but there's one other thing to it too and i was asked well why do you think that people stop sinning when they go to hell and i thought about that and i i was i couldn't answer that question at first i was like huh i got stumped a little bit there it's because if you if you reflect on it i mean when you hold to you know we all hold to the biblical worldview right we understand we're sinners we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, right? God has to change our hearts. People who are in hell, what makes us think they stop sinning? Mm. And the thing is, I don't think they do. Mm. It's conscious, right? It's eternal conscious torment. And I think that those who are in hell continue to hate God. Yeah, I think so hate too. Hate him. Continue to shake fists at him, thinking continue it's to not shake fair fists. and blaming him. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I don't think sinning stops. I think yeah. it is. I think the debt. It's like the. It's like the debt from the United States government, right? Like, <laughs> like the interest. Is, it just keeps. Yeah. It just keeps racking up. I, you know? I mean, I've had some friends who just like. I remember in college, this one guy who I know, and he was a, he, a professed atheist, but suppressing the truth, just like clearly. So it, yeah. he, what I remember he would say, um, he he had this saying, you know, I'd rather be 
with the I forget what the rain the, and hell no and rule in heaven no no there's a there is a saying it's kind, <laughs> it's kind of like that but it was like I'd rather be with the 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 oh. with the partiers in heaven oh, than with all the, the old stuffy people the in, hell is going to be the, the hell the part the party the, yeah hell with the, the, the like, I'd the, rather be with all my friends yeah. in hell than all with all the stuffy people in heaven and and you know I just I remember looking at him like dude there's no friends in hell it's lonely. There's no it's friends. It's outer in hell. darkness. You you think that it's like you know this perpetual party or something where it's like always good and hey my friends are there I'll see them. It's like nah it's it's not like that. There there are no friends in hell. It is just a, this endless circle of of torturous, painful blame of anyone yeah. and everything except oneself. That's true. And and that's just tragic right like that and and the people in hell don't stop being image of god bearers yeah so that's interesting too right like as rebels we try to kill the king and get at him but we can't okay so we killed a son right just like the parable talked about but when we are as rebels rebels who are in hell they're still made an image of god in the image of god so who are they going to war against who are they going to rage against they can't do anything except rage against themselves in a way. I mean, it's pure self-destruction. This kind of idea ties into how C.S. Lewis tried to describe hell. Now, I, I think I think the way C.S. Lewis does it is fair. Hmm. I think it's it's not just that. So uh, there's basically two ways traditionally that hell has been described. On the one hand, it's been simply you know described as uh, God, you know, is wrathful. And you're, you know, you and I, we're being punished. We are, you know, it's time you're done. You're going to get, you're, you're burning. You know, this is satisfaction of wrath. And that's, there's a truth in that, obviously, clearly true. Yeah. But on the other part of it, this is more C.S. Lewis's perspective, is that hell is exactly what rebels want. Mm -hmm. they, 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 I say that in a way, no one wants torment, right? That's, but that's not what they're thinking about. What they want is not God. Mm -hmm. They want to be away from God. They hate God. They want anything but God. Yeah. And so they want to be removed from his presence. Mm. Well, hell is a fulfillment of that. It is a complete alienation from the presence of God. You know, uh, They get what they want, really, yeah. as rebels. But the thing is, is that it's not a party. It doesn't end up being a party, yeah. you know, so they get what they want. But in the end, you know, it's it's a horrible place to be. And so is it just that? I mean, is God trying to stop everyone? You know, he's like, oh, he's doing whatever he can. And they just keep choosing hell. And, oh, I, I you know, it's, it's I have to give it to them. I have to give it to them. Well, I, I think that's kind of stretching it. You know, it's going too far with the with the uh, the description. I think there's both. I think both are true. It is a satisfaction of God's wrath and justice against sin, but it's also he gives them what they want. So what are your thoughts on that there? Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, I think so. And I think it, there is a sense in which you, you, you have this. Um, it reminds me of another analogy, which I think at some point got attributed to Lewis rightly or wrongly. It's stuck in my yeah. head that way. It, yeah, probably, yeah. it probably wasn't. It, it's one of those things where, like, you know, if, if you're ever unsure where the quote came from, probably came from Abraham Lincoln. And in, <laughs> and in Christian circles, if you're not sure who said it, it probably was C.S. Lewis. It's kind of, it's kind of one of those things. But, yeah. like, 
you know, I, I remember the analogy given where uh, where hell is like um, and heaven. You both have these banquet tables and everybody's got these spoons, but the spoons are like like 10 times the length of a normal spoon and you can't feed yourself with this spoon. Mm. Right. So you have heaven. You have this banquet table. Hell, you have this banquet table. Everybody's got these spoons. And in heaven, uh, well, in hell, what they're doing is they're trying to eat with the spoon. They, they can't because it's too long. They can't feed themselves with it. And in heaven, they're getting the food with a spoon and reaching across the table and feeding the person across from them. Yeah. I just thought like, that's not, that's not yeah, yeah, biblical yeah. imagery, but, but it, it gets, it gets this point across, right? That in, in hell, ultimately we get in one sense, what, what we, apart from Christ had pursued all along, which is this, this, this continual pursuit of self-desire, self godding like that that we want to be god we want to be um the center of of all things and you know and and punishment accompanies that so it's like you know there's there's a sense in which when one becomes a christian that's like a it's like a family status i mean i i heard uh tim keller put it well one time he was asked at a at a university campus um you know why do you think that being a homosexual uh sends you to hell and he answered, I actually don't think that being a homosexual sends you to hell any more than I think being straight sends you to heaven. Yeah. And, and his point was, was basically to say, look, at the end of the day, um, you're e- the notion of the Christian notion of hell boils down to you're in Christ or you're in Adam. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're going to continue. Uh, I'm straying a bit from the precise way he explained it, but basically it's like, you're going to continue down the road of serving the master that you belong to. That's right. And, and, you know, in Christ, yeah, there's going to be falters. There's going to be failures, but going back and clinging to the cross and growing in Christ likeness becomes kind of a, uh, a pattern to the, to the Christian life. Um, whereas in Adam, it's just this constant, um, what's behind all that is done ultimately terminates on itself like whatever the act is terminates on itself you know i want to go get uh, uh i want to go enjoy a pizza you know i'm enjoying the pizza as, as an end in itself i want to go you know do something i'm going to go do something as an end in itself and and self is at the end of that pole right whereas from from a christian perspective i'm going to go enjoy that pizza it's to the glory of god right it's mm-hmm. it's not nothing any longer terminates on itself nothing any longer is an end in itself it's always pointing beyond itself mm-hmm. to god's glory yes. and and that's that's a perspective that i think is is important to maintain one yeah. one of the questions i wanted to ask you is um you know I, I think one of the things that some of our conversation today kind of puts aside is universalism so could you just maybe share just a couple of seconds i mean what is universalism why yeah. is it dangerous and why is it tempting and and how does you know some of the biblical texts we've brought up kind of set it to the side well yeah i mentioned it a little earlier there's different forms of universalism Mm. so the one i mentioned before was okay yeah believers go to heaven right away when they die and there are people that, that the unbelievers go to hell but only temporarily and eventually they'll get out you know they pay their they they pay their debts and then they're set free right so that's a form of universe another one is that basically no one you know, no one goes to hell. There really is no judgment. That's kind of more, that's, def- uh, that's definitely more of a, I'd say maybe like an, an, an Eastern mindset. Like there's multiple, there's multiple paths to the top of the mountain. Like there's multiple ways yeah. to heaven and everyone, 
eventually gets there mm. at some point. So there's really no such thing as as judgment or whatnot. Um, it's also like God is a God of love. Yeah. And how can you? How can a loving God? Send well, there's really no standards then. Like there's no standard mm. of behavior. I mean, they're more like suggestions than actual rules, right? Right. More like guidelines. You know, quote from Pirates of the Caribbean. They're more like guidelines than actual rules, right? In, in that kind of a mindset, mm. right? There's no. There's no sin. That's why there's no hell. Mm. You know, you can kind of do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, and then, so I, I don't think there's that many people who are universalists. I think the more prominent views are, I would say, annihilationists. Now that yeah, that's, is that's a, where I'm going next. Yeah, that's a view where there is hell, or maybe not. Like either either the unbelievers just get destroyed completely, and that's it. Like actually destroyed, destroyed. No more consciousness. Like in the even, sense that like you have a fire, and the fire just gets put like out. Even their soul is destroyed. Like yeah. they no longer exist in any way, shape, or form. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah, by annihilationism. So that either happens um, immediately at the judgment. Or that would happen at the end of a period of suffering. So they would suffer for a little bit, pay the debt, and then they're annihilated. Like, at some point, it, it ends. But that's just not warranted in the text. I mean, the eternal torment. I mean, even uh, even Revelation chapter 20 talks about that, where uh, they're thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, like, this tormenting day and night forever and ever... Like um, that's pretty clear language. Like it's not ending. Yeah, and, and you get it's the, a torment. It's conscience. Yeah. It, you can feel the. F you can feel it. Yeah, there's a. There's, I mean, the, you get the same thing in Revelation fourteen nine through eleven. The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a conscious. Yeah. State of of torment, which is a terrifying prospect. Yeah. So I I think that annihilationism is a it's a way to try to minimize hell. There's other ways that we do it, by the way. And that other way, the, more, the most common way, I'd say, is grading on a curve. And that is where we say, well, yeah, I believe in hell, but really the hell is only, there's only about a handful of people in hell. It's Hitler, Genghis Khan, Stalin, and, you know, a couple other people. You know, small gathering, small gathering. Everyone else gets to make it. So that's kind of grading on a curve. Because everyone is okay, generally speaking, everyone's okay with the idea of people like Hitler and Stalin going to hell. You know, those are the really bad guys, so they, you know, they get that. But, you know, you know, not Mahatma Gandhi, right? Like, not him, certainly, right? I mean, he was nice. So that's the kind of thing. I think we, I think the most common tendency is to grade on a curve and basically say that, you know, only the really, really bad folks go to hell. But, but the problem is, though, is that it, it that also denies the, the biblical text, which talks about, us being dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, rebellion against God, uh, you know, you know, so, and there's what, there's none righteous, no, not one, all have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans chapter three. So everyone is guilty before God, everyone, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. Uh, young, old, doesn't make a difference. Okay. So no one make no one meets the bar to get into heaven. Basically, um, Grading on a curve actually turns it into a works-based system. Yeah, you know, if you if you do just if you do just the bare minimum, you get to go to heaven. But that makes you know that's not what the biblical text teaches. I mean, when you stand before God and He asks you, "Why should you be brought in?" You can't say because I did such wonderful things. Right. No, 
can't say that. Yeah. So well, and, it, and it's, I mean, ultimately, I, I mean, I, I use this analogy a fair bit. It's like you imagine yeah. a tall tower. Uh, well, back up, you take a business card, yeah. right? And you ask a person to think of the, the best, most moral person that's ever lived. Yeah. I'm just making something up. Mother Teresa. All right. Sure, sure. You put Mother Teresa's name at the top of this business card. And you tell me the worst person, the least moral person ever lived, Hitler. Hitler. Right. I always put that Hitler. on the bottom of the business <laughs> card. Now you take this business card and you and you stand it up against, I don't know, some tower, the Sears Tower or something like that. And you say, okay, well, God's up there, right? Like, yeah. there's, because the, the standard is just so like infinitely high. We can't ever earn heaven you yeah, can't you can't and, reach it and and to say that you can't is just it's it's an affront to god yeah. ultimately right so yeah. that's why we need god's mercy but how would god be just to to deny him the, deny his own standard of justice yeah, that's true. which is why we need a, an alien righteousness a foreign righteousness god's own righteousness yeah. supplied in christ yeah to bridge that gap yeah. um, now i would say uh i like that analogy that you gave of like the empire sears tower empire state building whatever the case may be like yeah the gap is so great between us and god that it's essentially infinite it can only be ca- uh, the chasm can only be crossed by the perfect one and that's god's righteousness and god's yeah. righteousness has to reach down as christ himself right reaches down and rescues us but i do but there is a there is some distance i want to i'm trying to be careful here there is some distance between mother Teresa and oh Hitler. yeah yeah now what I will say is, is that anyone who did not, who, who does not repent and believe in Christ, they're not, no one comes to the Father except through me, as Jesus says, right? So, you know, Gospel of John right there. But I do believe that there is um, great, I should say this, great, how do I say it? The gradations of punishment, gradations of suffering. Um, just like I do believe there are gradations of reward, Mm-hmm. in heaven and the text that i'm referring to for gradations of suffering are mostly uh the woe the what that jesus talks about um it will it'll go it'll be better for sodom and gomorrah on yeah, that day than for you I mean, he does have some particularly strong words to say about certain sins in fact uh one of them i think it's in three of the gospels has to do with uh causing uh, one of the little ones to sin uh jesus you know in, in several passages, uh, the children are, are, are wanting to come see him, and the disciples at first, you know, say, "Well, no, uh, that's you know, you're too, you know, Jesus is a little too busy for that." But he, you know, says, "Don't don't hinder them from coming to me." Um, and then he goes on and, and talks about uh, the. Uh, uh, here we go. Luke seventeen talks about what happens to those who cause him sin. So Luke chapter seventeen, he says this. Uh, verse 1, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Okay, so the context there is like, there are temptations. And those who fall into temptation and sin, I mean, that's bad. If you fall into temptation and you sin, you are guilty. But there's a woe to those who are the tempters, the ones who cause and tempt others to sin. There is, in a way, a special place in hell for those who cause one of these little ones to sin, as Jesus talked about. So I do think there's there's those gradations uh, there. 
I think it's warranted in the in the text there. So yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think so. The clearest example, just to put some yeah. some flesh on the bones that you already put together nicely, in Luke ten, um, Luke ten verse eleven, even the dust of your town that uh, of your town that clings to our feet, uh, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, we know this: the kingdom of God has come near. He says, uh, verse twelve, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So there's a comparison yeah. between that town against whom the disciples kind of shake the dust off their feet and Sodom. And he goes on, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to mm. you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. <laughs> it's not going well for Tyre no, and Sidon. Not, no, it's not. Okay, it's not going well for them. Um, but you get these woes over Chorazin and, and over Bethsaida. And the reason is because he's saying, look, they like it, it's as if he had said, you know, uh, woe to you, uh, Philadelphia, right? Woe to yeah. you, New York. If if the gospel that were preached in you had been preached in Iraq and they would have Afghanistan, that's right. They would have repented and it would have been a gospel beacon to the world. Yeah. Woe to you, Philadelphia, because yeah. you had the gospel preached to you and, and just rejected it. Rejected it, right? right? When had it been preached over so you see it's it's really not going well in either case, but there is kind of this comparison that Jesus makes, which is yeah. which is interesting. So yeah, I I, I agree. I, I do think there are gradations of uh, punishment in hell and, and reward in heaven. Um, yeah. so I, 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 we're, we're coming up on time and, and we have to wrap up and it's, but we have a proverb, don't we? We do have a proverb. Um, I, I just want to encourage you out there if you're listening, like this is such a, I can't tell you, like, I can't articulate in words, like how heavily on my heart this weighs. And, um, I believe with all my heart that this is real. Uh, God has revealed it in his word. Um, and that's, that's about as tangible as you can get when the creator of the universe says these things. Um, I mean, if you're out there and you're listening and you have not uh, repented of sin and put on Christ, please consider uh, doing so. Um, and, and you know, I'll, we'll, we will pray for you. Uh, please reach out via email. Uh, we would love to talk to you yeah. off the air. Yeah. Um, love to like just grab a, grab a drink or something and just go chop it up and, and just talk about what's going on. Right. Because, um, we love you and, um, and God loves you and he does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. So I would just plead with you to please consider, uh, the truth of the gospel and who Christ is. Why reject Christ, right? Has he proven himself unloving? Has he proven himself unmerciful? Has he proven himself unworthy? Hmm. I think, Certainly not, right? No. Like Christ is so worthy, so merciful, and so good. Um, and and in light of that, listen to him, right? We've been unpacking things directly from what he said. I know, I know, we're coming up on time, and I'm not meaning to get preachy, but this is this is serious stuff. So please, please, please reach out, or reach out to a local church, or your uh, someone, who, an elder at a church, or a friend who's a Christian, someone who can share the gospel with you and and pray with you. Um, all right. With that said. Proverbs. All right, brother man, are you ready? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 24. The path of <laughs> life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> All right. Well, 
uh, it does have some relevance to our topic today. Uh, but the path, okay, let's start with the, the first one. The path of life leads upward for the prudent. Now, um, you know, prudence is somewhat, uh, I would say, a, a synonym for, for wise, for wisdom there. Um, but, you know, the path of life, that's, I mean, and the, the picture here is, you know, leading upward, almost like a staircase uh, there. And uh, certainly the path of life is, is uh, based upon God's wisdom and, and what, uh, what, he, what he commands us to, to do and how he wants us to live. Um, that is described all throughout Scripture as the way of life, the way of the Lord, the way of wisdom. Uh, the, beginning, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so that is, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious there. And then it, the other part of it is that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. So you get this picture in your mind of, now Sheol, um, for those who aren't familiar, it refers to the grave in, uh, in, in Jewish thought, which, um, you know, so Sheol is not necessarily hell, but it is the grave. It is, it is the place of death uh, there. Uh, and uh, I don't necessarily need to get into the, you know, the Jewish thoughts on, on Sheol, uh, but uh, real quickly, uh, Jewish the thought is that Sheol had two compartments, basically those who were uh, awaiting ultimate redemption, resurrection, uh, life, uh, kind of like Abraham's bosom when Jesus talks about Lazarus. And then, uh, and then the other compartment is, is, the, is the place of torment, uh, not hell, but reserve, you know, wait, people waiting for the final judgment. But uh, this, as Proverbs uh, are based on our God's wisdom revealed to us, uh, it's quite simple, the path of life. Um, you know, that, that path leads away from, from the grave. It leads away from, from death. Um, and there's, there's an application to that in our own earthly lives. I mean, uh, doing things God's way is the way to uh, live long in the land, in a way. I mean, it's kind of like related to uh, the, uh, the, the commandment to honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land. We say that to our children, um, and, and God says it to us. The path of life leads upward, turning away from the grave. But if you take that out, take it to the next level, in an, in an eternal sense, uh, the path of life is Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life right? Jesus is the way of life, and that leads us away from death. It leads us away from the grave, and in fact, Jesus conquered the grave, and if we're in him, if we follow him, if we serve him, uh, we also are set free from the grave and conquer the grave because of him. So Amen. I guess that's how I would tackle that prophet. Good word, brother. Well, this has been uh, Two Guys in a Bible, and you can reach us a number of ways. You can reach us at Two guys in a Bible dot podcast at gmail.com. That's with the number two. Each of these is with the number two. Our Twitter handle, two guys at two guys in a Bible. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash two guys in a Bible or two guys in a Bible dot org. Um, again, this has been Two Guys in a Bible weekly conversation on theology, culture, and God's word. And we thank you so much for tuning in on, uh, on this heavy topic and ask that you would consider its weight and consider. Um, Consider the gospel and reflect on the glory of Christ and the mercy of Christ as he's revealed himself in his word. So thank you for listening and God bless. And God bless.